0: Chapter 1 of The Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Fletcher, 2017 The Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley Chapter 1 The Hidden Picture April came in on a Monday that year and monday being as all the world knows the minister's sabbath the reverend silas pettibone decided to celebrate it by going to boston with the avowed purpose of attending a missionary convention you you will of course accompany me my dear he said to his wife in a tone of perfunctory kindness which did not for a moment deceive her she was a small person with blue eyes under faintly marked childish brows And an indeterminate rosy mouth like that of a young girl at the moment she was industriously employed in cleaning the collar of mr pettibone's best preaching coat with a bit of black cloth which she dipped now and then in a cup containing ammonia and water it will look she said rather proudly almost like new and then she shook her head oh no i really couldn't go to boston today thank you for asking me, Mr. Pettibone. You're welcome, I'm sure, Miss Philura. he replied with a slow smile wrinkling the corners of his kindly eyes. She looked up at him and they both laughed sedately. Why won't you come along, he pursued with a notable access of eagerness. I'd really like to have you with me. But she persisted in her refusal advancing various housewifely and therefore incontrovertible reasons. There was, she said, the study to be cleaned for one thing. He frowned slightly at the suggestion. Really, my dear Philura, as I think I have said before, I I very much prefer not to have you or anyone touch that room. Everything is quite as I like it, though I dare say it may appear very untidy to you books and papers once arranged to one's hand cannot be disturbed without serious inconvenience if you don't mind doing something else my dear and leave my study precisely as it is she smiled astutely i oughtn't to have mentioned it she said i know you dislike having your room cleaned anyway i have to sweep the parlour to-day and look after the washerwoman yes he murmured i'd quite forgotten the laundress i suppose you couldn't leave mrs wessels in the house to wait on herself she would resent it again that demure smile flitted over mrs pettibone's lips i couldn't think of going she said gently and since the preaching coat was by this time cleverly freshened and pressed the minister presently went away in it quite happy and satisfied after kissing his wife goodbye at the door. She stood watching his tall spare figure as he hurried away down the street. It was a pleasant morning. The sun lay warm and yellow on the rough brown sod where slender young grass blades were already pricking greenly to the light. Overhead the big maples tossed their scarlet blooms against a brilliant sky and from somewhere a great way off came the piercing sweet cry of a meadowlark at the precise moment when the rapidly receding figure of the minister disappeared at the far corner of the street the gate of the parsonage yard clicked and then slammed shut behind the shawled and hooded figure of a woman good morning miss pettibone said a sadly resigned voice watching him out of sight eh didn't you know that's awful bad luck i know mrs wessels smiled the minister's wife I never heard that it was. Why should it be? The woman sighed despondently as she slowly mounted the steps. Well, I suppose it come out the Bible first and last. Most everything like that does. I suppose maybe Noah watched the heathen going away. Him standing in the door of the ark after they'd got through a laughing at him for building it. He didn't see em no more. They was all swept away. And I remember once I stood on my front stoop, just like you was doing, watching Wessels go to his work. And that very day he fell off the roof and done something to his insides. So he's never been no good for work since. My, I no more expected to be going out washing for other folks than you do this minute. But I'm sure our pastor'll come home with a whole skin. Her rebuking glance fastened the responsibility for Mister Pettibone's needlessly imperiled safety where it belonged. Oh, have you had your breakfast, Missus Wessels? The guilty party inquired as she led the way to the kitchen. Well, I supped to swallow a coffee when I give Wessels and the children their breakfasts, but I didn't stop to eat nothing. Oh, oh, no, Mum, I don't care for codfish. If you've got a strip of bacon or a slice of cold meat... Mrs. Wessels exhaled a sibilant breath, indicative of profound exhaustion, as she surveyed Mrs. Pettibone's preparations for her refreshment. As I says to Wessels this morning, I dunno, I says how much longer I'm going to be able to do other folks' dirty work... I ain't feelin' so well as I did a spell ago. And he says to me, Knock on wood, Louisa, he says. Well, I had to laugh. He does get things mixed up, so... Well, now I'll, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll try to eat a bite. And maybe I'll get up the strength to rub out a few pieces. I suppose you've put the clothes to soak, as usual. It's quite a help if it's done proper. Having set Mrs. Wessels in the carefully oiled grooves of her morning activities, Mrs. Pettibone betook herself without further delay to the ministerial sanctum. The opportunity was an unusual one and must be improved to the full. Mr. Pettibone was seldom absent from his study for more than an hour or two at a time. He appeared possessed of an uncanny prescience which led him to reappear at unexpected moments in search of an address book, a pencil, or a fresh supply of enrolment cards for his Sunday school. On at least two occasions he had surprised his wife, arrayed in dust cap and apron, stealthily removing the accumulated debris of his ministerial labours. On the first of these occasions, which occurred soon after their marriage, he had bestowed one of his rare caresses upon his bride, as a sort of soothing preliminary, after which, with great gentleness and firmness, He had pointed out to her the totally unnecessary character of her self-appointed task. A minister's study, my dear Philura, does not require so-called cleaning, he said. Cleaning, as you know, involves rearrangement, vicissitude, change, in a word, disturbance. However desirable and even useful such periodic conditions may be in other parts of our home, Here they are totally unnecessary and must be interdicted. Whereupon he had taken the pains to go into the subject in more detail, pointing out to his wife, who was as he well knew the pink of housewifely neatness, how much more serviceable and useful were his various commentaries, concordances and sacred histories when scattered about the floor in piles convenient to his hand arranged in neat well-ordered rows upon the shelves the appearance of these volumes might indeed please the eye of a person unacquainted with the labours of a literary and religious nature order he pointed out was unquestionably heaven's first law but order on the higher planes of mental activity frequently involved what might appear to the uninitiated as a very chaos of disorder whereupon he learnedly illustrated his point by an allusion to the cosmic disintegration incident to the building of a universe, a world, or even so unimportant a sphere as a moon. Mrs. Pettibone was honestly thrilled by his eloquence. She blushed and smiled, even while she whisked the stray tears from her lashes. But the wastebasket, she hesitated, it was quite full, you know and the papers were all about the floor. I may empty the basket, mayn't I? Uh, And Dust just a little? Very little, and quite carefully, really, the dust was stifling. But the minister shook his head. Decidedly, no, he said. Sometimes, that is to say occasionally, I mislay a paper. Why, only last week I could not For the moment, lay my hand on the first sheet of my Sunday evening discourse. And where do you think I found it? Mrs. Pettibone couldn't possibly guess. On the floor, my dear Felura, where I may casually have dropped it in a moment of abstraction. Now, if in the meantime, some well-intentioned person, yourself, for example, had entered my room and had, as you say, tidied it up, I should have been obliged to entirely rewrite that page at great inconvenience to myself. How long? Inquired Mrs. Pettibone demurely, but with growing hardihood. Were you obliged to hunt for that page? How long? Well, <laughs> really, my dear, I couldn't tell you precisely. I know I went through the entire contents of my waste basket and also examine the stray papers on the floor but i came upon my quarry at last behind the sofa where i suppose some chance draft had carried it from this you can see how essentially important how entirely necessary it is to allow me to care for my own study i may assure you that whenever this room really needs cleaning i will clean it and he made a large gesture It was more than a month thereafter before she had ventured to disobey these precise commands. To one brought up in the straight and narrow way of New England thrift and order, the picturesque confusion of the minister's study was almost more than one could support with outward calm. But when thickly overlaid with dust and the product of an industrious spider, it became positively unendurable. With Machiavellian cunning therefore and dire thoroughness, Mrs. Pettibone swept, cleaned and dusted her husband's study, sparing not a single cobweb nor the smallest particle of dust, after which she had restored, as she thought, everything to its accustomed disorder. But the minister knew better. An experimental morning convinced him that his privacy had again been invaded, most certainly he had not located simpkins's commentary on the pauline epistles to the left of his chair and buried it moreover beneath a staggering load of mediaeval histories simpkins was a most useful man always to be kept atop the pile on the armchair at his right other subtle but incriminating evidence cropped up on every hand the reverend silas gazed narrowly at his wife's unruffled front when he emerged at noon in response to her cheerful summons to the midday meal did she really suppose she had deceived him but the dinner was very good which might be set down as an extenuating circumstance he felt his just indignation cooling as it were while he partook of a delectable pudding compounded of the humble bread-crumb to which she was serving him a second time with a shy smile of triumph. My dear Felura, he said, you are a very superior and a very dear little hypocrite. I'm sorry to have to tell you so, but it is quite true, you know. Why, Mr. Pettibone, was all she could say. Yet her eyes sank guiltily under his accusing gaze. I can't think what you... Yes, you can and you do, he corrected her calmly. Didn't I tell you that the stars in their courses must not be interfered with? Didn't I explain how a woman with a broom and dustcloth would doubtless work irremediable havoc in a revolving nebula? And didn't you promise that you would never, never... Oh no, Silas, no! She shook her head. I didn't promise you I would never clean your study? How could I? Well, he conceded, it amounted to the same thing. I forbade it. She was mute. You won't do it again? She drew a long, quivering breath. I'm afraid I'll have to if if it gets too dirty. She was in his arms the next minute. But all the same, once she had done crying comfortably on his shoulder, he repeated his former prohibition with various impressive addenda, calculated to penetrate and suitably influence a mind grown, Mr Pettibone could not help thinking, somewhat inflexible and unyielding during the years of her solitary maidenhood. This was the last time the difficult subject of the study had been broached between them the sacred precincts had remained to the abstracted gaze of the minister in precisely the state of delightful disorder in which from day to day and from week to week he had left them strangely enough it had not required even the occasional and desultory use of the feather duster which he kept hanging on a peg in his closet a feather duster mr pettibone had discovered speedily and easily restored a fictitious appearance of cleanliness without the devastating processes known and approved by his various housekeepers but the initial experience of adam to say nothing of countless crucial instances of a later date has proved conclusively that while man may be the mate of woman he is certainly no match for her in her diligent inexorable almost unperceived control of the smaller things of life the jesuitical quality as somebody has observed is essentially feminine a carefully compiled list of the books to be found in various heaps to the right and left also at the front and rear of her lord's writing table a discreet as well as discriminating elimination of waste paper and the rest was easy today with mr pettibone innocently and safely occupied at the missionary convention in boston the unprincipled Mrs. Pettibone fairly turned the study inside out. Rugs and curtains fluttered merrily in the wind of the backyard, while learned commentators, hair-splitting theologians and sober church historians were unceremoniously shaken, flapped, clapped and rubbed free from dust. Even the sacred desk itself was dismantled down to its shabby baize cover and the blotting pad originally of a fresh green colour but long since defaced with superfluous ink of uncounted sermons, came in for a vigorous assault, calculated to dislodge the most secretly entrenched particle of the hated dust. And just here, an unkind fate, chance, it were an obvious impiety to call it providence, maliciously or otherwise, brought Mrs. Pettibone's ardent activities to a sudden halt. For under the impact of her determined little hand, a photograph suddenly slipped from its hiding place. It had been inserted well out of sight between two sheets of blotting paper. It was a small card portrait of a woman, dressed in a gown fashioned after the mode of a previous decade. Mrs. Pettibone picked it up. And gazed at it with a mingling of emotions she made no effort to formulate or control. The youthful face which looked back at her from the somewhat dimmed and yellow card was very sweet and mild. The eyes, large and dark, were shadowed with long lashes, and the mouth set in wistful curves seemed to implore the beholder to be kind. About the long white throat a scarf of lace was knotted loosely And from behind one ear, the arrangement, obviously the careful work of the photographer, hung a long, full curl of dark hair. Beneath was written in the minister's firm, neat hand. Mary, April the 2nd, 1893. Like one in a hushed dream, wherein a vague yet aching grief is overlaid with calm, Mrs. Pettibone swiftly and noiselessly restored the writing-table to its wonted condition with books pamphlets papers and letter-file contesting every available inch of space she allowed herself no second glance at the picture but slipped it back at once between the sheets of the blotter feeling curiously awed yet withal sorry and ashamed like one who has unwittingly blundered into the presence of the sacred dead in the house of a stranger Mr. Pettibone had never but once referred to his dead wife in their talks together, but she knew now what before she had only timidly guessed. He had not, and could not, forget the wife of his youth. Mrs. Wessels was more than unusually loquacious and companionable that noon, while Mrs. Pettibone was preparing the lunch of a variety and toothsomeness especially calculated to appease that lady's capricious appetite. If you're a fixin' that potato for me, she observed, leave out the pepper and put in plenty of butter. Pepper don't never agree with my stomach. And as I tell Wessels, if a body's stomach gives out, it's all day with em. No, Mrs. Pettibone, the clothes didn't dry a bit good today, for all the wind. So I ain't done a stroke of ironing. I can rub up some of the plain pieces this afternoon if you... Um, Oh, you're going out, you say. Oh, why, you look all beat out. What with your sweeping and dusting and cleaning all them dirty rugs. I had an awful good mind to whirl in and help. But thinks I, well, she'd rather I get this washing out. So I stuck to my rubbing. Uh, Be sure and have the tea hot. If there's anything I hate and despise, it's warm tea. It kind of turns a body's stomach. Same as it says in Revelations. Things that's neither hot nor cold, but just lukewarm. Makes a person feel like spitting them right out of their mouth. (laughs) Oh, let me see. Was it the Apostle Paul or the Lord that felt that way? I kind of forget. But whichever of them it was, I'm built the very same way. I like my tea hot. Where'd you say he was going this afternoon? Uh, Ladies, aid don't meet on a Monday, eh? Oh, and Mr... Pettybum, where's he gone? Uh, well, as I said this morning, I do hope and pray he don't get smashed up on the train, or run down by one of them ought of my wheels. <gasps> Ain't they awful? If Wessels hadn't fell off the roof and hurted his insides the way he done, like as not he'd have been run over and killed me now. Then I'd have been a lone widow, with four small children to look after. Louisa, says Wessels, whenever I get fretful over him not working. Half a husband is better than no husband, he says. Well, I guess that's right. Of course, Wessels, he ain't no real good, settin' all day and smoking his pipe with a stove. But I guess I'd miss him if he wasn't there. Knock on wood. <laughs> you don't believe in it, eh? Why, Miss Pettibone, I wouldn't no more neglect knocking on wood than anything. I could name hundreds of times, when if I'd forgot to knock on wood, I don't know where as I'd be. As I was telling you, you look all beat out. She approached her weather-beaten face close to Mrs. Pettibone's. I'm willing to bet, she added impressively. You've said or done something reckless and forgot to knock on wood. End of chapter one.